Uh, well, hey, everybody take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, okay? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And as I told uh, the family last night, there's probably not a more weighty statement than that. Take your Bibles and turn to. Unfortunately, it's, it's a phrase you don't hear much in churches anymore, which I, I don't know how that works. Without this, you know, I got nothing to say. And I want you to know that I don't speak for God. I'm on this platform right now, but I don't, I don't speak for God. God's already spoken. All, all I'm here to do is hopefully um, share as accurately as I can what God has already said. And that's the challenge for guys like me and for Lonnie and for, you know, Pastor Joel, is that somehow, some way, we are able to accurately communicate what God has already said. And the Bible tells us through the pen of James that not many should become teachers of the word because there's a stricter judgment that is incurred. On, on teachers because of the influence that we have. We don't lose our salvation. But this is a, a weighty moment in the life of a church when we gather together like this. This is an important moment for us as believers. I liken this to the huddle uh, in a football game. Nobody really cares about the huddle. I was watching some games yesterday, some college football games. And when, when, when the other, you know, when the offensive team would huddle up, nobody gets excited. I don't sit in front of my TV and go, yes, woo, yo man, they're huddled up. Hey everybody, keep it down. They're in the huddle. Nobody cares about the huddle. When they get in the huddle, that's when you go get some chips and, 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 and your Pepsi or you go to the bathroom real quick because nobody cares about the huddle. Do, do you realize, Christian, that the world doesn't care about this huddle? The world doesn't care about our little meeting right now. They're at home, sleeping in, driving up and down Tully, going up and down, you know, Clarentina or whatever. They're, they're, they're out mowing their lawns. They're out doing whatever they're doing. They don't care about this moment. But like in a football game, when all of a sudden, you know, the quarterback goes, ready, break, and everybody breaks out of the huddle, and they all run out, whoo, now's when I want everybody to be quiet. Don't bug me. I put the chips down. I put my, my Pepsi down. I'm watching the TV because now I want to see if they can actually run the play. I want to know if what was called in the huddle they can actually pull off. And let me encourage you, believer, this is the huddle. This is where 
we hear from the coach, we get the play, and in about 30 minutes, we'll all go, ready, break, and then we'll run out these doors, we'll get in our cars, we'll go back to our actual neighborhoods where we'll see our neighbors, we'll head to work on Monday or whatever and see the person in the cubicle next to us, we'll hang out with the guy that we play golf with and our foursome or whatever it is. And the most important thing is that we carry out the play. In other words, we live out what we believe. The world desperately needs to see believers who are carrying out the play, if you will. And I think too often we go ready, break, we walk out these doors and we're just like the Keystone Cops. <laughs> a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I was a quarterback at Davis High School, right down the road. So I'd get in the huddle, I'd call the play. Ready, break, and we get to the line. And there were times when, I don't know, maybe it was me, I'm sure it was, or it was the line, or it was the running backs. I'd take the snap and turn, and there's no one there. And the next thing you know, you're running around, scrambling around, and you look like an idiot to everybody in the stands. They blew the play. Somebody messed up. Someone goofed up. And I was always reminded of those moments at about 11 o'clock at night, my phone would ring. And this is back before there was caller ID. This was back when they had landlines. But at 11 o'clock, I knew who was on the phone. My dad. Because he was going to tell me and remind me of all the plays I screwed up. <laughs> that was kind of his gift to me. As if I didn't know already. On Monday, I was going to sit down and watch film. And the coach, and this is back when they had real, and then they hit a button and then it would click and go back. You see here, countryman? Yeah, I see it, coach. You see how you screwed up? Yeah, I see it. Yeah, you can just keep, keep the tape going, will you? I, I get it. But wow, when, when you ran the play right and everybody blocked who they were supposed to block and the receivers did what they were, there was nothing like it. Then I'd hand the ball off and I'd see the lineman open up a hole and I'd watch our running back run through the, and, you, and you'd go, whoa, whoa. And guess what the crowd did? Because you ran the play right. Folks, this is an important moment for everybody. You name the name of Christ, coming to church, getting in the huddle is an equipping time for all of us. And may the Lord use it in our lives. We're in a series here that's called Grace Transformed, which is all about what happens when the grace of God touches your life. And so far, we've looked at a number of things. The first thing we looked at was believe. Everything begins with believe. There comes a moment when all of us gave our lives to Christ. We repented of our sin and became believers. We 
allowed the Lord to be the CEO of our lives. It could have happened when you were a child, and I know lots of you who came to Christ as children. Some of you, it was when you were a teenager. I know many of you who came to Christ when you were a teenager. Some of you, it was when you were in college. Some of you, it was when you were you know, older or whatever it might be, but there was a moment when you gave your life to Christ. You surrendered your life to Christ, and the grace of God moved into your life and began to do an incredible work in your life. We're all being transformed into the image of his very son, right? But things don't end there. God just doesn't take us to heaven at the moment we believe. He leaves us down here. For what purpose? Well, that gets us to number two, and that is that we're to be uh, influencers, God now wants to use you and me now that we've been transformed by the grace of God. He wants us to be used to influence other people, to be salt and light in other people's lives, just like there were in my life and just like there were in your life. Maybe it was a grandma or a grandpa. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a youth pastor. Maybe it was Billy Graham on a radio program. Maybe it was coming here to the church. I don't know who those people were who influenced you, but you had them in your life, and now God wants to use you to be an influencer. But not just an influencer, but the third thing we looked at was God actually wants to use you to actually win people to Christ. Now, he doesn't need you. God is not in need of any of us. If God wanted to, he could influence anybody he wants apart from you, and he can win anybody he wants apart from you. Think of uh, the great apostle Paul. God didn't have somebody show up in his life and share you know, the four spiritual laws with him. Nobody showed up in Paul's life and you know, said, let me tell you about Jesus. No, God just simply knocked him off a, his horse and spoke and changed his life. But that's not normative. What's normative is, is somebody influences you and now you influence somebody else and then Wow, there's this moment when maybe God actually uses you to lead someone to Christ. And I'll just tell you, there's nothing like it. There's nothing. I've done a lot of really, really fun, thrilling things. I can look back on my life now and just tell you, wow, I, I've just been involved in things that, wow. I, I, I've had a magnificent life. I really have. If it all ended right now as I'm preaching, I want you to know I have had a magnificent life. Some of the people I've had to meet and become friends with, are you kidding me? I've been involved in this phenomenal church, got a great woman, got kids and grandkids, been all over the world. Man, I've, I've done things that most men don't even dream of got incredible friends. Some of them are right here in this building. But I want you to know something. The greatest thrill is just 
when you have a chance, whether it's in a setting like this or it's one-on-one over coffee or in your office or out on the golf course or whatever, when you actually have influenced someone for Christ and there you are and God uses you to lead somebody else to the Lord. (laughs) There's nothing like that. It never gets old. It just never gets old. To know that somehow you were an instrument to take somebody who was headed for a Christless eternity, to being somebody who was a part of the family of God. Are you kidding me? There's nothing greater than that. Nothing. Well, we're now moving into the fourth area of our Grace Transformed um, series, and that is equip. This is a section we're in today. You, you equip yourself to be able to win people. You equip yourself to be able to influence others. Equipping is a big part of our journey of faith. You see, when I gave my life to Christ, God doesn't transfer the knowledge of this book into my brain. I wish he did. Really. I wish I could just put this on my head and go, transfer, transfer the knowledge, transfer it. I can't do it. Either can you. It takes a little bit of effort to equip yourself. It takes some effort. And it's important that all of us are equipped. Now, there never comes a moment where you go, man, I'm, I'm equipped. I, I'm, I got it all together. No, not, that, that never comes. But there is a process by which you are equipped. And I want you to know, this is part of the process. Coming to a weekend gathering is a part of equipping. It's amazing the equipping that happens in this moment. And so every time you make the choice not to come and do something else, you're missing out on an equipping moment in your life or your spouse's life or your children's life or whoever it might be. That's why this is so important. That's why we want you here. It's because this is an incredible moment for all of us. It's an equipping time. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to kind of little, lay a little bit of a foundation, okay, before I give you just a few equipping thoughts r- r- real quick. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 28. It's kind of familiar to most of us. He said, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And by the way, that that would include your neighbor, right? Your actual neighbor. Here we have Jesus saying to his disciples, and I'm one of his disciples, though he said this 2,000 years ago, it still applies. I'm one of his disciples. You're one of his disciples, right? He said this, go. In other words, ready, break, and go. Linemen, get ready to block. Receivers, get ready to run patterns. You know, quarterbacks, be ready to do what you do. 
Go! Yes, we're to gather. But now you're to go. Go back to your neighborhoods. Go back to the people you work with. Go, go back to the people you golf with, you play tennis with, the people that are in your book club. Go back to those people. Influence them. Win them. Jesus said this in Acts chapter one. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what's the purpose of that? Well, one of them is this, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem and Judea and uh, uh, Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And again, that's got to include your actual neighbor, right? <laughs> one of the reasons why God gave you the greatest power source known to mankind, the Holy Spirit, is so that you could be an influencer, that you could actually win people to Christ. That's one of the reasons why you got the Holy Spirit in you. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's influencing, come back to God. That's trying to win people. Come on, come back to God. Look, when you're talking with your actual neighbor or you're talking with somebody you work with or, you know, some neighbor around the corner or whoever it might be, you're basically his ambassador saying, come on, come back to God. He created you while you were in your mama's womb. You're far away. You're so far away. You don't even, you don't even believe in him, but he loves you and he cares about you. Come on, come back to God. Come back. You can clearly see that in Scripture that God has a plan and a purpose for you. And one of those is that you're to be an influencer, somebody who wins people to Christ. But you've got to be somewhat equipped. Peter said this in chapter three. You can look at verse 15. We're gonna read the whole little, little section here in a moment. But he said, always be prepared. Always be equipped. I think that word could work there. Be equipped to give an answer to everyone who asked you uh, to give a reason for the hope that you have. Every one of us is supposed to be ready, equipped, prepared, to give an answer to why do you go to church? When your neighbor asks you, well, why did you go this morning? Why'd you go blow an hour and a half down there at that building? Well, what was that all about? Or well, I saw you read the Bible. Why do you read the Bible? Or, you know, why do you do that? Do you really believe in God? Why? You need to be prepared. You need to be equipped to give an answer. They may not like the answer, The issue isn't whether they'll like the answer or not. The issue is you just got to be ready to give an answer. Now, I want everybody to think about this. I, I, I've, I've shared things like this before, but, 
The first Christians who ever lived, you go back to the very first century, you get to the book of Acts, and we see where the church is born, and we get to read about some really interesting things that were happening when the church was born, okay? They didn't have cars back then, which means they didn't have bumpers where they could put pithy little Christian statements Honk if you love the Lord. You know, a one-way finger or some Bible verse. They didn't have any witness wear. You know, Christian t-shirts or Christian jewelry, things like that. Turn or burn! (laughs) Boy, that'll make me want to give my life to the Lord. Yeah, that... Keep wearing those shirts. (laughs) They didn't have any radio stations that played Christian music. They didn't have any superstar pastors with TV programs or radio programs or podcasts or whatever. Think about it, man. Today, you can turn on your radio there and, and listen to preachers who, like, are dead. Podcasts of people who are dead, and they're still preaching. They didn't have any of that kind of stuff. They didn't have any of it. They didn't have any celebrity pitchmen to make Christianity, you know, cool or vogue, you know, like the Tim Tebow's of the world. They didn't have anybody like that. They didn't have gospel tracts. There were no four spiritual laws or the Roman roads to Christ or the five bunny hops to the Lord. They, they, They didn't have any of that kind of stuff. They didn't have Gideons putting Bibles in all the hotel rooms. They didn't have church buildings like this. And yet, though they didn't have any of that stuff, the Bible tells us that people were coming to Christ every single day. In fact, uh, Acts chapter 16 says this, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. How did they do that? How were people coming to Christ every single day when the church was born? Without all the stuff we got today. How'd they pull it off? Well, I think we, we learned something in 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to read this little section, and then I'm going to make four quick comments, and they're equipping comments. I think they're comments that will help you reach maybe your actual neighbor for Jesus or somebody else that you know. So look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and look at verse 13. And just keep this in mind as I read it. Peter is writing this to a church that lived under Nero in Rome. Nero, Google him at some point, he was really, really, really evil. He was an evil, evil man who hated Christians. He made Hitler look like a Boy Scout, and that's not a joke. That's how evil Nero was. And there were Christians who lived under his regime, if you will. 
Peter says in verse 13, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God is going to reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep a clear conscience. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. And we'll stop right there, okay? And as I said, I, I really believe these are some equipping verses for us. And I hope and pray that somehow you're encouraged here in a moment when we break huddle and you go back out there in the world that maybe if you were to look at these things, maybe, just maybe, you'd have a greater influence in people's lives and that you might even be used by God to win somebody to the Lord. So here we go. The first one is, is if you want to win people or reach people, for Jesus Christ, you've got to live an honorable life. Verse 13, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? And that word good right there has to do with moral and spiritual excellence. It's the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 1 to describe Joseph, Mary's husband. Matthew chapter 1 says, Joseph, Mary's fiance, was a good man. He was a moral man. He was a man of, you know, spiritual excellence. He cared about the things of God. And I want you to know that in my humble opinion, this is one of the reasons why God chose Mary to bear his son. See, it wasn't just Mary. But God wanted to make sure that his son was going to grow up with a human father who had a passion for being good, who had a passion for living a godly, moral life. And so, yes, Mary was the one who had Jesus, but the father had to make sure that his son also had a good man where this boy would be raised by a good father. In other words, one of the things that attracted God to choose Mary to bear his son was the goodness of Joseph. I believe that. There's something beautiful or attractive about a good person, a moral person, a person who's committed to living a good, godly life. Isn't there? I know some people who don't even know Christ, but they're really good, moral people. I like being around them. I like hanging out with them. I'm drawn to them because of their goodness, because they have a passion for morality, if you will. And I want you to know, Christian, 
When you live a good, moral life, when you have a passion for living a godly life, people are attracted to it. They really are. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He said, so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he, God, give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. That's a good prayer. That's a good prayer to pray for your spouse. That's a good prayer prayer to pray for your kids. That's a good prayer to pray for your grandkids. That's a good prayer to pray for your parents. Is that you tap into the power within you to do the good things that God prompts you to do. And God's always prompting us to do good things, right? Paul goes on to say this in chapter three. He says, as for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. There's something powerful when you as a believer do good. You live a life of moral excellence. Jesus said this, in Matthew 5, he said, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now listen, Christian, there's always gonna be people out there who even though you live a good moral life are gonna hate you. They're gonna hate you. I mean, nobody lived a better life than Jesus. Nobody lived a more moral life than Jesus, right? And there were people who hated him, right? So the chances are pretty good that there's gonna be some people out there who just hate the fact that you're living a good moral life because when they see that, it just reminds them of their sin that they love so much. And there's this problem with their conscience. So they gotta figure out a way to shut you up. So the first thing you do if you want to reach a lost you know, friend or family member or actual neighbor is that you got to have a passion for goodness. You have to live an honorable life. And as I said, weekends here at Big Valley Grace are basically equipping times when we encourage you. Hey, look, I don't know how last week went. I don't. I don't know, and I, I don't care. I can't rewind the tape, and neither can you. But what I can do is when we break huddle here in a little bit, look, go out. Get in your cars. Go back to your neighbors, friends, family members, whoever, and live a good life. Live a moral life, no matter what. It matters. It matters how you live. Uh, number two, and it sounds a little bit like number one, is this. If you want to win or reach people for Jesus Christ, you got to live an honorable life even if you suffer for living an honorable life. A little nuance there. It's pretty easy. Uh, well, we got to deal with our flesh and the demons and all that, so maybe it isn't all that easy to live an honorable life. But wow, it's a whole lot easier to live an honorable life when we don't have all the arrows shooting at us, right? When we're not suffering. 
Verse 14 says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God's going to reward you for it. So don't worry. Don't be afraid of their threats. Beloved, don't ever compromise your walk with God, even if people are crummy to you. Always have a passion for goodness. Always have a passion to live an honorable life. Why? Why is this so important? Well, I'll give you two reasons. Number one is, look, when you're in the middle of God's will and you're doing your best to follow the Lord and you're living an honorable life and somebody wants to jack you up, somebody wants to shoot an arrow at you or whatever, the Bible says God's going to reward you for it. God's going to reward you for it. I don't know what that means, and I don't know what it looks like. I just know, wow. I'm just going to keep living this life, this honorable life, as honorable as I can. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't, they can say whatever they want to say. I don't care. Because I know somewhere along the line, God's going to re reward me. He's going to reward you for it. But the second reason you need to have a passion for goodness is this. Not only is there a reward, <laughs> but your actual neighbor's watching you. The guy in the cubicle next to you is actually watching what happens when crummy things come upon your life. You know, the people you play golf with are actually like watching you. They know you're a believer. Maybe you've already, you know, tried to influence them for Christ. And now something crummy happens. I don't know. I don't know what that might be. Somebody in your family gets cancer. Somebody... You know, and something happens in your life. I don't know what it is, but now all of a sudden they get to see you with another set of lenses on. I wonder how their God's going to handle this in their life. How is their God going to, you know, be with them through this? Or how will they walk with God through this? They're watching you. How you live when crises hit your life matter. They matter. You have people around you watching and seeing. and Man, I know for some of you, man, there are people who have watched you walk through some crummy things in an honorable way. And man, they've been drawn to your God. They've said, wow, I don't know who their God is. I don't go to their church. I don't know anything about the Bible, but I can tell you this. I know they believe in God, and look how they're handling this situation. Wow, I don't think I could have handled it like that. Or they compare that to somebody else that they know. It's important that you live a God-honoring life, but it's probably more important you live a God-honoring life even when there's troubles and trials and tribulations that come. Because remember, you're to influence and win. And there are people out there that are, are looking at you. And once again, you get here to the weekends at Big Valley Grace, and this is a time when, man, some of you have just been beaten up. Had a hard week. I'll tell you, I, I had a hard week. I was sitting in my backyard this week, minding my own business, just reading a good book, and my phone rang. And in my business, when the phone rings, you never know what's on the other end. You don't know. And I answered the phone. Wow. Just some really, really crummy news. Just some really, really crummy news about somebody.
Something happened to somebody. Pray. Call some people. You pray with them. But I remember sitting in my backyard going, man, there's a lot of pain and sorrow out there within a group of people. God, may they continue to live a God-honoring life in the midst of all this suffering because the world's looking at them. The world is watching how believers handle that kind of stuff. Here's number three. If you want to reach people for Jesus Christ, you, you got to have Jesus in the center of your life. Look at verse 15. He says, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God's going to reward you for it, so don't be worried or afraid of their threats. And here it is, verse, verse 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. One version says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Wow. Wow. I don't know how many of you have ever, uh, how many, any tennis players out there? Anybody play tennis? Okay, a couple of you. A couple of you. So the holy grail of tennis places is the U.S. Open. It's in, they do it in New York. I've, I've actually been there. Okay, we've got a picture of it right there. It literally is the holy grail. I mean, there's no more sacred piece of land to a tennis player than the U.S. Open in New York. I've, I've been there. I've watched tennis matches there. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. And as you can see, there's over 40 different courts at the U.S. Open, over 40. And when the U.S. Open starts, you're, you, you could be playing anywhere. I mean, you, you know, you might be here, you could be here, and then you might be there, and you might be here. But what every tennis player wants is to be in the holy of holies <laughs> center court. You ask any tennis player the first time they ever got to play tennis on the center court. It's a, it's a story they, they'll never forget. And in fact, you know, you'll see a, a guy, you know, at the U.S. Open, he's ranked, you know, 214th in the you know, world. He's got no chance of beating the guy. Uh, you're playing on center court today, you know. What's your feelings? Oh, I can't believe it. I'm playing on center court. You know, they're going to get killed by Nadal or whoever it's going to be, but they're on center court. They never forget it. As great as it is to play here or play here or play here or, I don't know, play here. You're, here, that's pretty close. There's none like this. None like it. Look, God doesn't want to be here in your life. He doesn't want to be here in your life. He doesn't want to be here. That's pretty close. He doesn't want to be here. That might be number two. He doesn't want to be there. He wants to be right here. He wants to be on the center court of your life. Not, not somewhere close. He wants to be right in the center of your life. And I can tell you, it happens to everybody in here, and if they tell you it doesn't happen, they're lying. 
every believer at one time or another, the Lord ends up over here or maybe here or sometimes here. That doesn't mean we lose our salvation. You don't lose your salvation. God's still in your life. Jesus is in your life. But somehow he just got off of the center court of your life. And when you come here on a weekend, this is one of those equipping times, if you will, where, man, we encourage you. Hey, there are times when I'll show up here. And you know what? Frankly, maybe the Lord's not in the center court of my own life. And I hear the wonderful music. And all of a sudden, I begin to worship the Lord. And I, I bring my gift to Christ. And man, I hear the preaching of the word. And you know what happens? God moves to his rightful spot in my life again. And that is the center court. And I walk out of here going, man, I'm so thankful I was here. And I want you to know, when you make the choice not to come here on a weekend, when you make the choice not to go to church, when you make the choice to say, I'm not going to go to the huddle, to this equipping moment, you lose. You lose. That's why we're so passionate about you being here. And if you can't be here, watch online if you're sick because this is an equipping time. We know what happens to your life when you're here. Let me get to the last one here. I'll take us back to a verse we looked at a little bit ago. If you want to reach people for Jesus Christ, you got to be prepared. You got to be equipped. You actually got to do it. Do you know what you believe? Do you know? Do, 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 you, do you know just some of the basic things of the faith? Do you know? If somebody were to ask you, man, tell me about your walk with God, what, what, can, can you tell them something? Last night I told another story. I'm going to tell a different one today. So I, I gave my life to Christ here at Big Valley. Um, wasn't in this piece of land or this building. We were on Stanford. And I knew nothing. Literally, I gave my life to Christ. And I think it was like maybe the next day I called my best friend. He lived right down the street. He wasn't my actual neighbor, but he was right down the street. My, my best friend, his name was Jeff. And I said, Jeff, man, I want to take you to lunch. So we went to lunch, and um, we're sitting at a restaurant. And I said, Jeff, I just got to tell you something. I want you to know I'm going to heaven, Jeff. And Jeff goes, man, great. Now, remember, this is a guy I was getting loaded with all the time and snorting coke with all the time and eating mushrooms with all the time and other things that I'm not sure the statute of limitations has run out yet, so I, I'm not going to tell you, but just other things, okay? And he goes, wow, that's really great. And, and I said, no, 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 Jeff, it is, it's not really great. I'm telling you, it's the greatest news ever. And he goes, well, how do you know you're going to heaven? I said, here's the deal, Jeff. I, I was a sinful person, and I gave my life to Christ, and he died on the cross for my sins. And once I gave my life to him, he cleansed me, and I get to go to heaven. And he, he said, well, I don't get it. And I said, well, I don't, I don't really think I get it either. I, all I know is that I was a sinful person, Jeff. And Jesus came and died for my sins on the cross. And when I received him into my life, he cleansed me of all my sin. And I'm going to heaven. Don't you want that, Jeff? I mean, who, who doesn't want to go to heaven? 
And he was asking, well, you know, you know, what about this in the Bible? And I would just go, Jeff, I don't know about that. I don't know anything about that. All I know is that I was a sinful person. And that Jesus came and died for my sins. And I get to go to heaven now because I know him. Don't, Jeff, don't you want to go to heaven with me? Don't you want to go there? Don't you want to have your sins forgiven? Don't you, don't you want that? Well, yeah, but you know what? Come on, you know. Church, and church is all they want your money. And I said, you know what? I don't even know anything about that yet. I, I, I don't even think I've been to a service. Or, I, I don't know about that. Maybe they do all, all they want is my money. I don't care. All I know is, is I was a sin, sinner. I was going to go to hell. But I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. Don't you want that, Jeff? That's all, I, that's, that's all I knew. And what I want to tell you is this, is that there's power just in your personal story. Just recognize that. There is power in your personal story. And let me tell you why some of you are afraid to share your personal story. Here's just two things. Got to write these down. One is, just tell people what you know and don't be afraid of what you don't know. Just tell people what you know. That's all I knew. That's all I could tell Jeff. I hadn't been equipped. I didn't know anything. I knew nothing about the Bible. I didn't know about the Old Testament. I didn't know about the New Testament. I didn't know about anything. If somebody would have showed me the book of, you know, Job, I would have thought job, and I would have thought, man, God's so cool, he left a book in here on how to get a job. I, 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 don't, I didn't know anything. I literally knew nothing other than I was a sinful person. And Jesus came and died for my sins. And when I received him into my life, he cleansed me of my sin. That's what made me, that's all I knew. And I wasn't worried about what I didn't know. And let me just tell you, this is an equipping moment. Just tell people what you know. And don't worry about what you don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. I've walked with God a long time. Lonnie's walked with God longer than me, and I guarantee you there's stuff he doesn't know. Man, Gordon Rumble's sitting back there. He's been walking with God. He came over on the ark. And, and you know, <laughs> the, he, he, when, when, when he talks about, you know, Noah's ark, he's reminiscing. It's, but I guarantee you there's stuff he doesn't know because nobody knows it all. And there are times when the only thing you can do, people ask me questions and I'll go, you know, I don't know. Uh, but let me get back to you. Let me see if I can find an answer. It's okay not to know something. It's okay. Don't, don't make something up. Don't share something that you, you don't know to be true. Just talk about what you do know. And it might be. All I know is I was a sinner, and now I'm going to heaven. Now, back in my day, when I gave my life to Christ here at Big Valley, and then Joseph's going to lead us in a song, but <laughs> we had this thing called evangelism explosion. And so that was back in the day when you gave your life to Christ, you immediately, like, the next weekend, you got into this thing called evangelism explosion. And it was like the Marines. It was like, it was like 158 weeks like you had to like read stuff and study stuff. You had to come down to stuff. It was like, man, this is like a full-time job. Do we get paid for this? I mean, I mean, you, it was a huge commitment, but guess what? It was an incredible equipping time because there came a moment where I could talk about more things as I learned and as I just came to church. 
I would hear the preacher preach, and I'd go, oh. And I began learning. I was being equipped, and that's what this time is. So every time you make the decision, I ain't coming to church, you're missing out on an incredible moment to be equipped, to be somebody who might just win someone to Christ after you've influenced them, since you now believe. Father, thanks for a time. May this song somehow be a great way for us to just kind of cement this all together. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.